Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today in the podcast, we're going to be talking about the digital divide. The coronavirus pandemic has made that divide even wider. And to talk about that are two women named Jessica. One of them is Jessica Rosenworcel. She's a commissioner with the Federal Communications Commission, and she'll be speaking to us from Washington, D.C. The other is Jessica Ramos. Jessica is a student at Skyline High School here in Oakland, and it's a high school about a short drive from Silicon Valley, yet her family lives on the other side of that digital divide. And now, here's my conversation with Jessica Rosenworcel. Jessica Rosenworcel, from your home, from your dining room table in Washington, D.C., to my home in Oakland, welcome to It's All Political. Thanks for having me. So the term digital divide has been around for about 20 years, and, and never has that divide been wider than it's been during this pandemic. We've got 30 million, uh, 39 million people filing for unemployment, businesses closing, most of the impacts hitting low-income folks and communities of color. It's even happening here in the Bay Area, as you well know, home of Silicon Valley. One in five Bay Area residents lacks an internet connection, and that was before the pandemic. Uh, and 40% of the kids in many poor neighborhoods don't have any device or reliable online connection. I've been talking to families who are deciding whether to pay the rent or their internet bill, and, and you know which they're going to pick there. Are we? Do you fear that we're in a tipping point now, that if we don't do something soon to close this gap, this digital divide, that we could lose a generation or more? Well, I think you're on to something. I think this pandemic has exposed a really hard truth which is that our nation's digital divide is big. And if you don't have access to you know, the online world right now, you don't have a fair shot at maintaining some semblance of modern life. And this crisis is demonstrating this with more clarity than anything else in recent history. So we gotta use that clarity to decide to figure out how to connect everyone going forward. You've been talking about this for your decade on the FCC. Um, why does the divide still exist? <laughs> it's not a decade. It just sometimes feels like a decade. But it's yes, not a decade. Okay. I have Very been cool. talking about this Much for of a, a decade. long time. I have been talking about this for a long time. Why does it still exist? Why does the digital divide still exist? Well, when I think of the digital divide, I think there are really two problems. And the first is deployment. We've got some rural areas in the country where it is really hard to get infrastructure out because the cost of that infrastructure is high and the number of people in that area is low. And spreading the cost over just a few people in sparsely populated areas is not economic. And so we're gonna have to figure out a way to connect those communities, just like we did a generation ago with electrification in our rural areas, we gotta do that with broadband. So that's our deployment challenge. But we also have an adoption challenge. We've got folks living in areas where their service might be available, but they're not adopting it at home. And we got to start understanding what that means because that lack of connectivity is also a problem. Is it about relevance? Is it about affordability? We got to get to the bottom of it because that part of the digital divide is important too. And I think this administration has focused a lot on rural deployment issues with the digital divide, but hasn't focused as much on adoption. And again, this crisis is making that clear. What more could the FCC do? uh, is this is is it how much of it is coming out of the commission? How much of it is Congress? How much is the, is the is the administration? Whatever administration it may be, where where does responsibility lie for for closing the divide? 
You know, I just think we need to make it a national policy to connect all. We did it with electrification a century ago. We got to do it with broadband right now. So policymakers at the local, state, and federal level have to be aligned that that's our national goal. And if you ask me, the way to start this is actually mapping where service is and is not in this country, because you never manage the problems that you don't measure. And right now, we're not doing an especially good job of identifying where service is and is not. And that's for starters, how we're gonna start to you know, manage our deployment problem. And then we're gonna have to study the adoption trends. We're seeing them as you've mentioned and written about, you know, and we've got low income communities where students can't get online and go to school. They're locked out of the virtual classroom right now. We gotta fix that problem where they don't have access because it is impeding their ability to go to school. and that, Lack of internet access for students is an especially cruel part of the digital divide. I call it the homework gap because I think it's a distinct problem within the digital divide. And again, this pandemic is just making clear how much we have to solve it. Explain what you mean a little bit more by the homework gap. Yeah, you know, when I um, got to the FCC a few years ago, I, I started talking to educators at schools and it didn't matter if they were in little towns or big cities. They all were talking about the progress they were making, getting their schools and classrooms connected to the internet. But everyone told me they had this challenge. They were sending kids home and not every kid had internet access at home. So I started studying the numbers and I found that seven in 10 teachers assign homework right now that requires internet access. But the FCC data show one in three households do not subscribe. So where those numbers overlap is what I call the homework gap. And, you know, we used to see kids who fall into the homework gap lingering in the parking lots at the library after it had closed just to catch a free Wi-Fi signal and finish their work. Or we'd see them at fast food restaurants doing their homework with a side of fries. We'd see them in coffee shops. But now all those public places are closed. And so we've got all these kids. We told them to go to school, get online, but they can't all get there. So the homework gap is especially cruel during this pandemic. But, you know, there's so much in this crisis we can't figure out how to solve. We don't know how to deal with therapeutics and vaccines and figuring out how to take care of people. But it seems to me that it should be within our power to figure out how to solve the homework gap, get every kid connected so they have a fair shot of even making it to school during this time when they're not able to head to the school building. It's, it's, uh, it's such a divide. You know, parents in uh, well, well-to-do neighborhoods now are saying, oh, I'm worried about my kids' screen time, that they're, they're spending too much time on their screen, that they can't pry it away from. The, you know, where there's, you know, as we said, one out of uh, three households doesn't have a screen, uh, doesn't have connectivity. And that's, that's only going to get worse. And, you know, it's actually a little more nuanced than that, too. I was talking recently to a teacher in Vermont in a rural area, and she said one of her students' parents came to her and said, the internet's run out. My child will get back online when we re-up our plan. In other words, they were relying on a wireless mobile device with a limited data plan, the whole household. So there's a parent trying to manage work, trying to manage keeping life going, and students in that house all trying to work through this with a limited data plan. I mean, so there's people who have access, but it might not be robust enough for us to live our lives 
online. And that's an element of this homework gap and digital divide too. And it is, it's, and it's not only children, the homework divide, it is uh, parents looking for jobs who are now out of work. It's, uh, it's uh, other members of the family who may want to, uh, you, you have to pass around one device and you have to, and, and share that. Uh, and sometimes the internet signal isn't strong enough. So the, the house recently uh, just passed a, uh, in its $3 trillion coronavirus relief package, it contained $4 billion in broadband support for low-income Americans that we've been talking about, and uh, those who recently jo- lost their jobs, another uh, $1.5 billion for schools and libraries to upgrade their connectivity and purchase more equipment. Now, the president uh, said that the bill in its current form is dead on arrival, but as you kind of alluded to earlier, with the rural and, and urban stuff, this is a uh, this isn't might be a place where Republicans and Democrats agree on some level. Many re- Republicans are frequently represent rural districts uh, with, with the connectivity and broadband issues, and uh, Democrats often re- represent uh, more urban districts with the same issues. Do you think that there's a chance for at least the broadband portion of this uh, next? Uh, uh, round of coronavirus relief to survive? You know, I'm going to be an optimist here and say yes, because I think if you think of the digital divide as having both a deployment and an adoption component, what you start realizing is this is not uniquely a small town or big city problem. It's not a red state or blue state problem. It's a problem that unites us. And I'm optimistic that when problems unite us, we're going to find a way to solve them. And so I'm hopeful that Congress will spend some more time on the digital divide, the homework gap, and start figuring out how to connect more Americans. When we do, let's not just think about this ongoing crisis, which is just so severe. You mentioned almost 40 million Americans have filed for unemployment insurance. But let's recognize that going forward, for every student, household, town, community to have a fair shot, at success, you're going to need to have some connectivity at home, and we should decide as a nation that that's a goal we're going to have, and we're going to find a way to make it happen. I want to talk to you a little bit about philanthropy because you know we're seeing a lot of it right now, but um, uh, the folks are trying to pitch in and to bridge this gap. Uh, last week, uh, Jack Dorsey, the billionaire Twitter chief executive, gave $10 million to the Oakland Unified School District here in my uh, hometown. Uh, to help supply every one of its students with a laptop and internet access. Last month, the California governor, Gavin Newsom, said that several companies had answered his call for help and provided 70,000 laptops and tablets for students. These are, these are beautiful, wonderful gestures, but is, are they anything more than Band-Aids? They might get us through the crisis. But, you know, for example, in, in Oakland, uh, Dorsey's uh, gift was wonderful, but it cost $4 million every year to to. Pr- to uh, provide ongoing internet access for students. What, uh, what can you say about these philanthropic measures? Do they, do they go far enough? Uh, well, first we're going to clap for them because they yes, make we'll a, give them a huge clap. difference, give them a clap. right? No, they make a huge difference. I am. Imagine I'm giving them a clap. Student, yes. right? So let's, yeah, they, they deserve applause. And, um, absolutely. I, uh, I think that's important. But, you know, um, in the end, I think generosity isn't the same thing as justice and we sometimes get confused we're going to need to solve this at a national scale because even if that student is not one in your household they're the future of our economy and making sure they have digital skills is a way to make sure we all thrive so um i think we need to come up with something that's doable at national scale 
uh, I still think there is, um, it's a good thing. And they made a meaningful difference in the lives of those who have benefited from that generosity. But we, we've got to think at, uh, about this as a matter of national policy. And what, what would you like to do next, finally? What would you like to see done next? Oh, my gosh, so many things. All right. First things first, I'd like the FCC to map accurately where broadband is and is not in this country. Because when I can't we start, believe we still don't have an accurate I know, map. I've seen maps, but, right? I, but they're, not, they're not pinpointed. They're not specific enough. So, so here's the thing. The way the FCC does it is it looks at by census block, and then it figures out if there's one subscriber in a census block, it assumes there's subscription throughout. Now, maybe in downtown San Francisco, that's a logical assumption. But in lots of rural areas in California, it's not. And so what happens is we have this methodology that systematically overstates where service is and is not. And then we give out billions of dollars a year to extend service, and we miss so many places in the country. Plus, I think if we think we're going to solve this sitting around in Washington doing maps on our own, that's just crazy. Because all of us have this lived experience where we understand where we get signals on our wireless devices, or we know that the house you know, three miles down the road is where the fiber connection stops. How do we take all of that lived experience from everyday Americans and import it into our nation's broadband maps? Because the best map is not going to be made in Washington. It'll be made by all of us. So I want some elements of crowdsourcing or just, you know, our knowledge from living on the ground and being around in our communities to inform that effort. And I think when we do, we'll be able to make sure that the billions of dollars that the FCC and Congress will send to extend deployment, that'll help make sure it goes to the right places. We don't do that now, and that's a shame. I also think in the short term, let's not accept that there are so many students who have this virtual classroom that's locked. Back in 1996, Congress created a program called E-Rate. The nation's largest education technology program, and it's helped classrooms get connected to the internet. It subsidizes that connection in communities in every state. So if that classroom is now the kitchen table or the dining room table or the corner of the family room, let's make sure every one of those kids can connect. We can use that same program to let every school loan out things like Wi-Fi hotspots from the school library. And that could solve a huge chunk of the homework gap overnight. Some of this has been discussed in legislation, as you mentioned, on the House side and the Senate side. And, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic and impatient that we can make that happen. I don't know what school looks like in the fall, but shame on us if we don't solve the homework gap before then. I think it's within our power to make that happen and to update the E-rate program to do that. And that's something I'd like to see happen in short order. All right. Commissioner, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll talk to Jessica Ramos. She's a high school student in Oakland, and she'll talk about how she's had to scramble to get online so she can do her schoolwork. Welcome back. Jessica Ramos is a junior at Skyline High School here in Oakland. I asked her to come on It's All Political and talk about how the digital divide has affected her family. Jessica Ramos, welcome to It's All Political, from your home in Oakland to my home in Oakland. Thanks for having me, Joe. So uh, you're, you live there with your mom and dad and uh, in Oakland, and your dad uh, drives for Uber, and your mom works uh, overnight shift at Walgreens, and she also does some, uh, some teaching too, correct? Correct. Okay. So after the pandemic hit, 
and uh, you guys are sent home from school and having to work from home. And how did the, tell me what happened with the family. My dad basically lost a lot of, I mean, Uber went down. He lost a lot of customers. You know, once you, you don't have basically a job, you can barely afford your payments or bills, um, especially in Oakland since mortgage is, you know, off the top, so more than kind of rent type of thing. Yeah. Um, my mom also, she had to pick up a lot of more shifts to be able to cover some things, to cover more bills, to cover uh, necessities that we need, just food or um, gas or anything. Mm-hmm. So she, she made me, she, she told me, she's like, you're going to have to pick, you know, like right now it's kind of, it's very, it's very hard right now to pay a lot of bills. So um, the Xfinity, I mean, the, the internet and the, and the TV or the cable bill was very, very high. It was, it's up to 300 right now. So she, she was like, well, we're going to have to cut it for a month. Um, so they made a choice between paying the mortgage and paying your utility bill. And you know, the, there's, there's no real choice there. Right. Right. And it's like, do you want a roof over your head or do you want, um, to finish, you know, other things that you can just do later on. So you had no internet and that's, uh, in the middle of your junior year, very critical year in high school. Um, right. so, and you, I mean, the homework kept coming. It's not like the work stopped. Plus you're, you're doing all kinds of other things. What did you do to get onto the internet? So I, I, I'm not going to lie. I do have a lot of support and, you know, had a lot of friends that I can go over to your house, but just over this, you know, thing that's going on over this virus is like, I'm not sure if I have it. I'm not sure, you know, I might be a carrier. I don't want to, um, start any problem you know i don't want to be involved in yeah. anything so i just made my decision to just go to diamond um down to diamond district you know and go to the library and finish you know what i had to do either it was, it was a big scholarship i remember um and so i went my, i made my decision to go down to the library finish what i had to do was down there for like two, up to three hours and now you're not you're not inside the library because the library is closed right so you're right. sitting outside the library Right. Like we're in a bench outside in the, in the street. Right. Yeah. Now, for those for those uh, listeners not familiar with the uh, where the Diamond Library is, that's that's not like in a you know park like setting. It's in the middle middle of a big city. Tell us what's what's the sounds like coming there. So I mean, Safeway is right in front. So you have all these customers, you know, trying to um, get in and you know have to buy things, and you also have the park that's you know like five streets away, but you have these houses. It's a residential area, so. You, you hear the cars, people walking, um, you hear all these different things. You can't really concentrate on what you have to do, especially when you have to do homework or finish a scholarship. So it was very hard for me to concentrate. So you have cars coming by you, you can have people talking and, and all kinds of, uh, all kinds of stuff where you're trying to, you know, stay on the internet outside the library and, um, and you're, you're finishing your homework. So you're out there for right four, four or five hours at a time. Yeah, about, about, well, it was around three hours. It was just two days because it was just very hard for those two days to just turn in that scholarship that I needed to do. You had to turn the scholarship. Okay, so then you got, uh, the internet came back on, correct? And then how did right. the, how did that happen? So my mom was able to, I said, um, my dad started to get, you know, work overnight too. So he had to pick up the overnights. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are coming out from airports, from different cities, coming back home. So thank God, you know, it brought more more income in. So um, my mom, you know, she was like, you know, it's fine. Let's let's start paying. My dad was, you know, like, well, you know, whatever we can do to be able to have you back online. 
And of course the Wi-Fi comes back on, but it's not the same. It's the slow, you know, you have to wait like a like at least some type of minutes so that anything just can load. Um, and I'm, I'm not the only one. I know there's a lot of students that are having the same, you know, exact things that are happening right now at this moment. And, and plus you have, uh, you have everybody in the family sharing your, your dad's looking for more jobs there. Your mom has to right. use it for her teaching. You're using it for, for homework. So this you're, you're competing for that. Um, the, um, how I had the, uh, another part of the podcast, we have a commissioner from the FCC on, I think I was telling you about this. And she calls this, she's been looking at this and trying to call attention to the digital divide for years and years. And she calls it the homework gap, where it's harder for for kids who don't have a regular connection to the internet or don't have a, a regular device at home to do their homework. Do you, do you sense that at your school? There's some kids who, you know, this isn't an issue for? Especially in, in the Bay Area, it's like, it's very hard to say that because, you know, there's parents that make over millions and millions of, you know, of, of dollars every, every year. So it's like, for them, it's, it's, it's not that much for somebody that's low income, um, coming from the East Oakland or coming from, you know, West Oakland. It's, I mean, it's, not, it's like, there's no equity in the city. I would mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what we're trying to find, have that digital divide off, you know, we can finally have, everybody can have internet access, not just, you know, people who can afford it. It just becomes essential at this time. So uh, you're, you're a couple more weeks in the school year now. We, you know, it's still, uh, we don't know what next year is going to be, but it's going to be, as I know, <laughs> I had uh, two daughters who were, uh, one just finished college and one's going to college uh, right now. Senior year is a incredibly uh, busy year, end of junior year, beginning of senior year, you're applying for colleges, you mm-hmm. have a lot of work to do. Um, you want to go to Stanford. You, you, are, you are shooting very high. Um, that's, um, are you concerned about whether you know, you're going to be able to have the internet regularly or, or, or whether you're going to have devices regularly and, and not just internet, but like a strong internet that you'll be able to do it? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's hard to say because I'm like, even to this day, I'm starting to put my college, uh, I'm doing my college list and I'm just thinking, you know, realistically, like, do I have enough money even for the, for the applications? Do I even have um, the resources to be able to be online? Cause we don't know if school might be hybrid, if we're going to even go to back to school. Um, so I'm just thinking about like, the, like, you know, different like CSUs, different things I can probably apply to that won't be as hard as, you know, Ivy leagues that, that require a lot of money just to enter and just to have your application, you know, um, looked at. But it's, you know, it's most students are going through this right now as we talk. This is common from uh, a lot of a lot of the kids you go to school with. A lot of your friends are, are facing the same decision. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Jess, I, I wish you luck, and um, thanks for being on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank you all for listening today. I'd like to thank uh, both of the Jessicas, Jessica Rosenworcel and Jessica Ramos, for joining us today. I'd like to thank Karen Creighton for producing today's episode. And remember, no matter what side of the digital divide you live on, it's all political. It's All Political is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our executive editor is Audrey Cooper. Our theme music, our wonderful theme music that I love, it gets me jazzed up, is Cattle Call written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Croson. Support It's All Political and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership. It's very easy. You just go to sfchronicle.com slash pod.